You may be seated. Um, happy Monday to you all. I'm glad you're here in the room together. I know this is a busy time. There's a lot of preparations being made and you're working hard academically and, and all of that. And yet this remains our rhythm of gathering here regularly to be together to experience the Lord's presence in this place um, and amongst us. And so glad you're here today. Um, I'm happy also to uh, be introducing to you our, our speaker for chapel today. His name is Pastor Dave Bricky. Dave is the, uh, the pastor of Church of the Open Door uh, here in the Twin Cities. And uh, we've had uh, Dave here um, each of the last couple years. And so, Dave, I'm glad to have you back here to, to share with us this morning. Would you help welcome Pastor Dave Bricky? Thanks, brother. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I, uh, I've been looking forward to today. I know this is a normal rhythm for you, and sometimes when you have a rhythm, it can become routine and those sorts of things, and uh, it can, sometimes routines can be really beautiful. Sometimes routines can cause us to uh, lose some of the beauty, actually. But for me, this is not how I spend my Monday mornings. I normally take Mondays off. This week, I'm taking Friday off because I want to be here with you today, and I'm actually really looking forward to to this. But let me just say right up top, um, what I want to share with you today is it's not from a place of strength. I don't think, and maybe there'll be some new things, but I don't think I'm going to share some like new ideas with you. Um, That's not my goal. Um, I actually come to you today from a place of weakness. You know why? Because I'm a human being. And sometimes in life, we ha- I can have or we can have this illusion that things are put together and we're in control. And then sometimes in life, we are very aware that we're not in control and things don't feel put together. And I've just had a year where I'm very aware of my weakness and here's what it has done. It has propelled me towards Jesus. And so I hope to today just serve you. I just want to serve you well by pointing you to Jesus. In the beginning of this week, in the middle of the Advent season, just want to point you to Jesus. So some of you may not remember me from last year or the year before. Some of you might remember me. Uh, I am going to jog your memory for a moment because I was talking to Ren at church yesterday, and I remembered last year when I came, I did. I have weird illustrations sometimes. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. I don't care. I do my best. And last time, I brought pizzas, and they were cold because you can't get warm pizzas in the morning. And I used it for an illustration. And then afterwards, I said, whoever wants pizza, just come out. I thought, who's going to want to eat cold pizza Well, a lot of college students are going to want to eat cold pizza, and you consumed that pizza. So today, I brought more cold pizza, and uh, thank you, thank you. You are dismissed. I'm just kidding. Um, So afterwards, uh, the whole goal of this, there's no illustration. I'm just going to throw a little front of the platform pizza party so that I can hang out with you a little bit because I know you like cold pizza. And if you don't like pizza, we're going to pray for you after chapel. We have a special prayer time for those of you who don't like pizza. Okay. Today, though, I do want to share with you from Scripture. I know you've been in the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 2, uh, I'm going to bring you into the Christmas story, but I'm going to bring you into one of my favorite parts, and it's the, the Magi, the Magi who are searching for Jesus in this. And uh, 
And so the birth of Jesus, let me just point out, the birth of Jesus calls to us from 2,000 years ago. It calls to all of us, but can I just point out, for those who are marginalized in our society, for those who are experiencing loneliness or feeling isolated, this story calls out to us uh, a truth that meets us here today in, a per, in the person of Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit. And here's what I know. In a room of this size, I, I know, because you're a fellow human, uh, that you, we can be surrounded by people and still feel incredibly lonely. And so I want you to know I've been praying for today, I've been praying for you, but the people who I've who've kind of captured my imagination who are in this space today are those who are feeling really lonely and isolated. I just want you to know that I've been holding you in my heart and praying for you coming in today, to today. In this story, um, I just believe is really potent for all of us, but especially for those of you that are feeling a little bit on the outside looking in even though you're around a lot of people. You are seen and you are loved deeply. And so, um, the story of the Magi, I'm just, let me just start with the first two verses. We have 25 minutes. There's a hard stop here, ladies and gentlemen, I get that. And so, um, I'm not gonna go into a lot of detail, but there is one thing I wanna drive us towards today within this passage. Let me start with the first two verses uh, here in, in chapter two, and it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And so uh, you've heard about the Magi, the wise men, the three kings. I just want to take a moment to introduce you to them a little bit deeper as we get into this text today. Um, first, the word Magi comes actually from the word magic, but we're not thinking about like pulling bunnies out of hat magic. These were, in a sense, astrologers or foretellers or see seers, in a sense, um, who were experts in the sky from the east searching for Jesus. That's, that's who they were. Part of the reason why I love the story of the Magi, many sorts of um, wonderful uh, spiritual reasons, and then some reasons that aren't so spiritual. Like one of those is uh, they are nativity set destroyers. And I love this, and some of you know this, um, but there is something I wanna share with you that you don't know. I've thought of a solution for this. I wanna share it real quick in just a moment. Um, they are nativity set destroyers. I have a history of being mischievous with nativity sets. One year, around Christmas time, every place I went, I took the baby Jesus from the nativity set. And I collected them all throughout December. And uh, <laughs> I am not, by the way, giving you ideas on what to do. I'm telling you what not to do this Christmas season. And I did end up giving them back after Christmas was done, and only some people noticed that baby Jesus was gone. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, you can pray for me. It's okay. Uh, but the Magi in this story, I just want to point out, some of you know this, nowhere in the Bible does it say that they were kings. Nowhere in the Bible does it say there were three of them. In fact, there were probably many more. They did not show up to a stable. You, you know this. They showed up to a house, uh, and they showed up to a child, not a baby Jesus, which means if you're, you have permission, if you're at someone's house and they have a nativity set, I just say take the three wise men. It's okay that there's three. There's probably many more. You can add, like, Lego characters to them, but move them across the house. 
Just move them across it, because they're journeying to Bethlehem, and then our homes will be more biblical. So I just want to say that real quick. So, and if you put them to the east, it's even better. All right? So that's the solution, and none of you thought of that. So there. Okay. The Magi, just to point out, were great and powerful in a sense, and they traveled most likely in a caravan uh, with, with uh, guards and with servants and those sorts of things. And, and it says when they entered into Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem was stirred. This is how we know it wasn't just three lonely men on camels. The whole city was stirred up because this caravan of people, powerful people coming in from the east, um, moved towards Israel and into Jerusalem. And here's what we know is that the people in the eastern countries, uh, Persia and, uh, you know, and, and, um, and, and, and Babylon and other eastern countries of Israel, they were familiar with Jewish teachings and prophecy because the Jewish people were scattered in exile all throughout that land. And so there was a familiarity with prophecies in, in, uh, throughout, throughout that country. And so, um, and, and what's interesting here is one of the prophecies that was very familiar in the east and we see it in Numbers chapter 22 through 24, is the prophecy of a, of a star that would signify the birth of a king. And so their imagination, and this is the part, that I, the journey that I want to take us on, their imaginations, when, this, when the sky changed, they were experts of the sky, when it changed, their imaginations began to move towards Jesus before Jesus was born. One thing I want to just point out is there is a gra- there has always been a gravitational pull in our world towards Jesus. Always. We see it before Jesus, when Jesus was born, and even today. I, I looked it up on Google Maps. We are 6,220 miles away from Bethlehem. 6,220 miles away, uh, 2,000 plus years, I didn't do the math there, and Jesus is still something that everybody in the West has to grapple with to some degree. Now, you can ignore Jesus and pretend like that's not an issue or something that is real. You can redefine who Jesus is, or you can follow Scripture's teachings uh, and and definition of who Jesus is and worship Jesus, but we all have to come to grips with Jesus. But, But here, we actually see with the Magi, that there was a gravitational pull towards Jesus prophetically in their imaginations before Jesus was even born. It's like there's this magnetic thing that's pulling humanity towards Jesus. And so, um, do you see that gravitational pull? I'm not gonna read through all of this, but verses three through eight is when they move into Jerusalem and there's this man named Herod um, who is a really evil, wicked king. It says, the time of King Herod. And when we think about the time of King Herod, we think about the Christmas story and it feels fuzzy, it feels cute, but it was actually a really dark, dangerous uh, time when Herod met with these, and just to let you know a little bit about Herod. Herod was nicknamed Herod the Great. Again, many of you know this. He was great in Rome's eyes because he kept the peace for four decades. Um, He was a great builder because he built one of the ancient wonders of the world, the temple. He was great in so many ways according to Rome, but he was also really greatly suspicious to the point that when he was suspicious of his mom, of usurping his authority, he killed his mom. And then he he was suspicious of his wife usurping his authority, he killed his wife. And then he killed his three sons for the same reason. And then towards the end of his life, at his death, he had a group of elite citizens uh, from Jerusalem 
who came together uh, and he ordered them all executed the moment he died so that people would cry when he died. This was an evil man. So when scripture says at the time of King Herod, it is actually talking about an extremely dark evil time in history. And so what we see is this. We see this gravitational pull towards Jesus and in the imaginations of the nations before Jesus is born. And then when Jesus is born, there is this, it's like the sky is rearranged around the birth of Jesus. The universe begins to move in on Jesus. And then the nations, this magi, this large group of people from the east, begin to move in on Jesus. The nations, the universe, the imaginations. And what we see here with King Herod is that it wasn't just beautiful things that moved in towards Jesus. All hell broke loose when Jesus was born. And it was like evil itself moved in and moved towards Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus. Like, like storm clouds building up around Jesus' birth, evil itself was moving in was moving in towards Jesus. There's a gravitational pull. There's a magnetic pull of Jesus that's still here, that's still here today. And, and, and I just want to point this out for a moment. When, when we think about the opposition of Jesus from day one, I am a follower of Jesus. I am a disciple of Jesus. That means I, I, I want to become like Jesus. I'm far from that, but I want to. And in this life, well, we're gonna experience opposition. There's a myth that you won't experience. There's a myth that if I'm following Jesus, maybe, I, maybe, maybe if I'm experiencing opposition, it's a sign that I'm not actually in God's will. And that's just crap. We don't see that anywhere in the Bible. In fact, we see all sorts of opposition. And I wanna just pause for a minute because my family and I moved to Minnesota three years ago and we're really grateful we moved here. And we're really great, all of us. My, I have four teenage children. We made the decision to move together, all six of us. My wife, my kids, us, we prayed, we thought about it. And we're, we feel like we're being obedient to God and we're grateful. And we love the church that we get to serve and be a part of. And we have experienced nonstop opposition. Now, I don't point at everything and go, that's opposition from the enemy. Um, but sometimes when things just keep happening, there is a sense of, we are under attack. When we moved here, my wife was sick for eight months right away. And when she was brought, when she was in bed for eight months, it was a very messy time of life for our family and I, just after moving. And I don't know your theology around this, but God did miraculously heal my wife. <laughs> I'll never forget, she couldn't get out of bed. And then that afternoon I came home and she was dancing when I walked in. And... Uh, and, and it, it, it shook something loose within our church and within our family. There was this faith thing. And then one after another, one of my daughters got E. coli and the norovirus and almost died this year, early on in the year, and, and rushed to the hospital by ambulance. And, um, and it was a real close call. Just a few months after that, another one of my daughters collapsed, unconscious, was brought by ambulance. Same EMT showed up to our house. Like, I don't want to become friends with you. Will you stay out of my house? I'm in my underwear. Um, and I, I'm, I'm joking about it now because she is okay, but she was diagnosed with long-term Lyme's disease. And we're in a process that's been so hard. Another daughter was rushed by ambulance this year to the hospital. So here's why, here's why I say that. I don't bring you into all my personal journals. Here's why I say that. 
Because sometimes we can look at people in a position like this, or we can look at other people that on the exterior look like they have it all together. But control is a mirage. It's not real. It's not real. In fact, when we put our faith in the things we can accomplish, when we put our faith in the skills that we have, we're just one tragedy from our identity breaking down. And, and so I come to you today, not in strength, in weakness, because it has become so clear to me this year and to my kids, thank you, Jesus, and to my wife, that we need a savior. And, and here, why would we follow Jesus if we're gonna experience more opposition? I was grappling with this question when I was reading this. Why, why, why would we do that? And here's where I landed. You land where you land. Here's where I landed. I would rather be in it with Jesus than live a comfortable life and succeed at things that don't matter in the end. And <laughs> I say that with faith and boldness right now. I don't feel that all the time. But that is what my soul cry is. So, Lastly, as we move towards Bethlehem, it's just fascinating to me, this gravitational pull towards Jesus, pulling evil itself, the universe towards Jesus, pulling the nations towards Jesus, pulling imaginations towards Jesus. And this little insignificant village called Bethlehem becomes one of the most important cities in redemptive history because his baby was born there. And this baby who threatened this world power was born right there in Bethlehem. And it says this, as the Magi are moving closer to Jesus, in verse 10 it says, they were overjoyed. Because this star that was distant, now all of a sudden, almost like the Old Testament, pillars of fire leading Israel through the wilderness. It's all one story. This pillar of fire, this star, was actually leading them to Bethlehem. And they were overjoyed. Um, and then it says in verse 11, this is the climax of the story. On coming to the house, they saw a child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They bowed down to a toddler. They bowed down to a toddler dressed in probably rags compared to them, saying, Jesus, the toddler, we are lower than you. So much to say there, but here's what I just want to leave you with today. This story, like many stories in scripture, can trick our brains. And we can actually trick ourselves into thinking something is the main point that's actually not the main point. Now this is a good point, this is something good to look at. The Magi were faith-filled people. I, I don't understand them really, but they, they, that was costly worship as they traveled hundreds of miles, potentially over a thousand miles to be with Jesus. It was costly worship. And we can say this with the Christmas story, be more like the Magi, or be more like Mary, or be more like Joseph. We can, we can say, we can think that way. That's not the point of the story. That's a point. But there's a greater truth, and I wanna pose it with this question. Who traveled the greatest distance in this story? Who traveled the greatest distance? Because the day before Jesus was born, the Magi could have searched planet Earth and never found Jesus. But Jesus became, God became reachable that day. Um, God bridged a gap that we could never bridge and came to us. 
And here's why this is significant. If we read the story the wrong way, it becomes like any other religion in the world. And, and case in point, I, my, Stephanie and I, we go on dates most weeks and uh, we do like to eat. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, amen. Come on. We love Indian food. Um, we love all sorts of food, but there's an Indian restaurant we go to and, and we've been to India a ton of times and we have a lot of friends in that area of the world and in this particular restaurant, um, we love it and we've gotten to know the people there and, and we've become good friends with one person in particular. In fact, when, when we're there, we don't always go there on dates because we budget at least a half hour of our time to talk with this person. And uh, the last time we were there, which was a couple weeks ago, this person was at our table and we were talking and they sat down with us. It was super sweet. They're like, don't you have tables to serve? I don't know, but here we are. And I, I, I love it. And we're good friends by this point. We've known each other now for a couple years. And uh, one thing, uh, th this person is a practicing Muslim. And they have ideas about who Jesus is. Uh, they honor Jesus as a prophet. They believe in the virgin birth. Uh, and this person, at one point in our conversation, said to Stephanie and I, said, because, uh, you know, in the Muslim tr tradition, you worship Allah and you pray a certain amount of times a day. There's a lot of rules to follow. And this person said to us, you know what, I believe you're going to heaven even though, though you don't pray to Allah five times a day. They said to us, because you're good people. And if we read the stories of, and, and it was cool, I actually had an opportunity because we're friends to say, I actually see it really differently. Can we just share what each other thinks? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, I, I don't think, I know myself on the inside. I don't think any of us can make our way to God. So I actually believe God came to us through Jesus. We had a great conversation about it. But if we read this story wrong, then we begin to believe in the same way that the rest of the world believes about every other religion. That there is a life that we are called to live by God, and as we live that life, we are more secure with God. And because of time, I wanted to draw you a little picture today. I'm not, but here's what I wanna say. Before your identity with Christ, God came to you before you did anything. And here's, what, here's why that matters. When we fail as human beings, uh, for my friend, for example, that's a Muslim, when you fail, when your works, when your life produces something that doesn't live up to the standard God has called you to, then your identity breaks down. So your works are connected to your worth. But as followers of Jesus, pursuit is very different. God has pursued us through Jesus Christ, traveled the further distance. And so when our works break down, um, we still have our identity secure in Christ. Some of you are yawning right now because, oh, you've heard this, how you've lost your imagination. Here's how you know. Here's the litmus test for how you, whether you understand this or not. It is not what you do on your best days. It's what you do on your worst days. Some days you wake up and you have like worship songs in your mind. Congratulations. You're singing worship songs and you have a wonderful Bible study. I love those days. Some days you can't get the impure thoughts from your brain. You're like, what is wrong with me? And you have a day that feels less like heaven and more like hell. What do you do on those days? Do you hide, do you clean up? Do you feel a little bit harder or more distant from God? Or do you, do you do what Hebrews says, which is run to the throne of grace boldly, 
and fall in your divine parents' lap. I actually, instead of making this drawing, I'm gonna share it with you something I shared two years ago when I was here. And it's just simply this. If this is God and this is you, this is the lie we can believe. If we turn our back on God and we're living in sin, whatever we're doing, we're mischievous people and we begin to move away from God and we try to turn back towards God, we're like, okay, how do I get from there to here? That's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is pursuit from day one. And pursuit looks like this. When you turn your back on God, here's what pursuit looks like as you move away from God. It looks like this. So that when you turn towards God, you realize he's been there the whole time. And so here's how I'd like to end today. We have the perfect amount of time, five minutes left. I'm gonna invite us all to go ahead and stand, and if you have to go at some point, go, but um, I'm gonna ask you to hang tight for, yeah, you can stand. Um, Hang tight for a little bit if you're able to with me today. The way that I feel led to serve you today is by just saying this truth that you might know here, but really believing that the Holy Spirit will bring it again to life here, that Jesus pursues you, that this isn't a story of the Magi's pursuit of Jesus as much as it is Jesus' pursuit of you. This isn't a story as much as the universe's gravitational pull towards Jesus as it is Jesus' gravitational pull towards broken human beings and towards your brokenness. And so if you're feeling isolated and alone today, I've been praying for you that God would open up your imagination to the fact that the presence of God is with you And what I'd love to do today is I'd love to practice actually living as disciples of Jesus and doing, in a sense, what Jesus does for us every day through the Holy Spirit. Jesus does this through the Holy Spirit. You are seen and you are loved and you are pursued, not just on your best days, but on your worst days. You can turn towards Jesus. And so let's practice that together. Um, What I'd love to invite us to do is to take a step maybe of, of courage, of maybe a little bit of boldness, and, uh, but no pressure. This is invitation. You do not have to do what I'm about to ask. But for those of you that are experiencing a level of isolation or a level of loneliness in your life, um, I think I can, uh, this is a loving room. Um, I, I, I think I believe that. <laughs> uh, and, and we want to see you and we want to pray for you. And by the way, I'm going to answer this invitation and invite you to see and pray for me because I woke up this morning being like, I need that. So if you're here today and you're feeling a sense of isolation, even in a crowded room, I'd love to invite you to just take a step towards the aisle. I know it feels weird, doesn't it? But if that's you, I just wanna invite you to. No pressure, don't be led by pressure. Um, But if you so feel led, I wanna encourage you to take a step. Just give it a minute. See you, brother. And no doubt there are more people that aren't taking that step today. And and even if you're not, you're seen and loved. But for those that have taken the step, and I'm in the proverbial aisle today, I'm just up on this stage, which doesn't mean much. This is just so you can see and hear doesn't make me any different or any more special than any of you. Now look around the room and I wanna encourage you to go stand with somebody 
multiple people to go, don't be awkward about it. Just go stand with somebody who's in the aisle. And I want to encourage you to, uh, to make sure nobody's standing alone. This is an opportunity to practice being brothers and sisters in Christ, which is so cool. Like when somebody has the courage, I mean, that's the strength to be vulnerable and to step out like that. It's incredible. I just want to say thank you for doing that. And right now, may you receive this as a like, you're not alone. We're with you. And you know what? I said that I'm in the aisle too. If any of you want to come hang out with me up here, does that feel weird? Come on up. Do I need to come down? Am I intimidating? My brothers, come on up, man. And let's just do this as we have just a couple minutes left. Um, can we just look around the room, make sure nobody's standing alone? Uh, can you just look around? I just want to, it's really important for us to realize that every, week, every time you do chapel, it's not a show or a presentation. This is a gathering. I know we're not maybe even all in the same place in our faith, but in general, this is a gathering of the family of God. And so it's an opportunity to live into a family identity and say to each other, you're not alone. You're not alone. Um, so let's take a moment and pray for each other. Then when we're done praying, you'll, I'm gonna dismiss you. And then we're gonna have a pizza party up here for anyone that wants to stay. All right. Thanks for coming and standing with me, brother. So Jesus, here we are. Um, and Lord, I, I ask you to just uh, free our vision up from the mirage of control, of needing to have it all together, or actually believing that other people do. Will you awaken us now to the need for you as our savior and to your presence that's actually with us in this place? As, they, as everyone here moves throughout campus, I pray you will give all of us and all of them eyes for, of love for each other. Will you give us the supernatural ability to see the marginalized, to see those who maybe look like they are connected but are disconnected in their heart? And will you help us to be your healing presence to each other? Will your love not just move in us but through us to each other? And so, Lord, we just ask you to protect the hearts in this room. And may this place, may this campus be more and more a taste of heaven on earth. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you, everybody. It's so great being with you again. Go into your day with grace and with peace. And if you want pizza, it's cold, but it's up here. <laughs> yeah, brother.